Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 77 for Tuesday, August 31st, 2021. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. And I am Captain Sabriel Mastin. Welcome back. Yes, it's only been a week since our last episode. We were talking about Lower Decks, and this week we are taking a little break from Lower Decks. We are welcoming a special guest aboard the Starship Transporter Lock. Please join us in welcoming Ambassador Rob Perlman, the author of Star Trek Starfleet Is and Editor-in-Chief at Smart Pop Books. Hello, Rob. Hello. It's such a pleasure to be chatting with you. You are such a storied author in pop culture. And when we got the outreach from your colleague, Heather Butterfield, to talk about your new book coming out next week, September 7th, Star Trek Starfleet Is, we were happy to leap at the opportunity to speak with you. So how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well, Sabriel. I am doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day here in far uh, the holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> We do need to be creative in order to maintain our sanity. It's true. <laughs> so, Rob, as I mentioned, you are the author of dozens of books. The most recent one coming out, we are, we're just a week away from Star Trek Starfleet Is. Tell us a little bit about what is Star Trek Starfleet Is. Oh, wow. Uh, Star Trek Starfleet Is, is is really a celebration of what the Federation is all about. Um, it's a it's a little reasonably priced gift book that we're really doing for the fans by the fans. Um, you know, I, I first thought about this idea. I guess it was in twenty eight night time and space. Really, don't have any meaning anymore. But I was at a New York Comic Con um, at, at a Picard panel actually, and I was looking around the audience at you know all of the the Comic-Con attendees who were specifically interested in, in Picard and everything that was going on with Star Trek. And I was, as I usually am, just amazed at the, the breadth and diversity of Star Trek fandom. And then I looked on the stage and I saw the breadth and diversity of all of the behind the scenes and on-air talent of everything. And I was like, well, this is what Star, Starfleet is. It's, it's everything. And then a little light bulb went off on top of my head in a very cartoony sort of way. And I was like, there should be a book like that. And and here we are a couple of years later with that. And, and now I can hold it in my hand and say, like, look what I did. It's really, really great. So this is a book consisting of over 100 themes, nouns, adjectives that describe Star Trek, each one with a picture associated with that word. But before we get into the details of what those words and pictures are, I'm uh, Sabriel and I are curious. You have written books about a variety of pop culture phenomena, from Bob Ross to Alien to Rick and Morty. But you've written multiple Star Trek books. 2013, Stuck on Star Trek. 2014's Fun with Kirk and Spock. 2015's The Wit and Wisdom of Star Trek. 2017's The Search for Spock. And 2019's Body by Starfleet. So of all the pop culture you've written about, what is it that has you keep coming back to Star Trek? Oh, you know, Star Trek just has a special place in my heart. Um, I, I've been very fortunate to have never lived in a world where Star Trek didn't exist. Um, you know, when I was growing up, Star Trek was always on in syndication. So I was always able to see it 
after school or especially on the weekends. And it was one of those shows that the whole family could watch at the same time. You know, whether it was um, me and my parents or me and my grandparents, and we were all watching it for kind of different reasons, I would say. You know, I was for the, the aliens and the action and my parents and grandparents were probably in it for a little bit more of the characterizations and the social commentary. Um, and then when TNG happened, you know, it was it was sort of the same thing. It was on in syndication. I was able to watch it um, and, and enjoy it. And I was just amazed then, as I am now, just this mythic, long-lasting storytelling um, that never failed to be entertaining and thought-provoking in one way or the other. You know, I do remember going to see the motion picture in the theaters when it came out. Um, I may be dating myself a little bit, but it was the first time I saw something that had originally been on TV on the big screen. And I was amazed that that could happen. Um, Maybe I was a little bit of a pop culture kid back then where I liked the medium. I'm like thinking about the mediums of these sorts of things. but, you know, looking back on it, because Star Trek was on TV, as opposed to premiering as a, as a big movie, there's something a little bit more intimate about a television show when you're watching it, especially back in the time when there were maybe three networks and, and one or two syndicated channels and PBS. You know, the, the fact that these characters, these people, these ideas and stories were beamed into your home into your living room, into your bedroom, where you are yourself. Um, it's a it's a very personal and direct relationship that you have with these sorts of things. So as much as I love other pop culture properties, and Lord knows I do love a lot of pop culture properties, there's something a little bit different and special about Star Trek for me. You made me think of like the first Star Trek I saw live was Star Trek Six. The first one I remember was Star Trek Six, going to the theater. Uh-huh. I mean. Um, uh-huh. Just like, uh, but that made me think like that experience you had of, you know, like seeing Star Trek in the theater for the first time. I mean, just like, wow. Like, like, um, yeah, those glamour shots of them approaching the Enterprise, I, you know, it was epic. They're, they're, I'd never seen anything like it on a big screen before. You know, truth be told, it was a little slow for a kid my age. I probably wanted a little bit more action and adventure. Um, but I, I was still, awestruck at just sort of the, the 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 cinematography and the grandeur of the whole thing and then i got to see all of these characters that i knew um so there was this sort of built-in familiarity and recognition um and just seeing them go on a, a physically bigger adventure was just amazing to me and then to share it in an audience with a bunch of people that was just great too so many Star Trek people, fans that I know are it's people generally my age, you know, forties or so, and so you had or thirties, and so you had an experience that just uh really shaped you in, in a different way, like similar but different way. Like for my first Star Trek show was Next Generation, mm-hmm. and then I went back and watched original series, and so it's just kind of, it's it's really just interesting to me to see hear and see this whole like how this inspired you, and we still got in the same path. Yeah, yeah. And Star Trek's meant that much to you. Yeah. And I think that's one of the beauties of Star Trek. After after 55 years, there's plenty of entry points for everyone. Um, so no matter what 
style you like, no matter what, you know, actors or characters you like, there's always an an on-ramp for anybody. I can't wait for like 20 years from now going on online forums or whatever that looks like in the future. Uh, And just 20 years from now where people's jump on point was like discovery. Oh, yeah. And and I'm sure there are people like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's so different. Uh, Bring it back to the book. Uh Uh-huh. We're kind of curious, like a little bit of like, what is the process of making a book such as this? Like, what kind of research, or did you even have much research, or did you go on personal memory, or did you have like access to uh, like sets, scripts, the actors, anything when developing this book and talking about what Starfleet is, or was it all from memory? Uh, it was mostly from memory um, at, at the original outset of it. Um, you know, this book is a little bit different than most of the other books I've written in that there aren't an awful lot of words in it. Um, so each word really had to count for something. Two of my favorite authors are Dorothy Parker and Oscar Wilde. Um, one reason is because they are just laugh out loud hilarious to me. But the other reason is that their use of language i've never seen anything like it before like every word matters for them so the challenge for this book was to figure out a way as briefly and quickly as possible to encapsulate all of the ideals that star starfleet is um so i think we've got 101 in the book but i had probably written about 250 in total um, and you know, through the editorial process, you just keep you keep looking at it and you you refine it and you make it smaller and more intimate, and you take out all of the things that don't really necessarily fit or aren't as perfect as as you want them to be. Um, sometimes you get a little repetitive. So you want to try to avoid that. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I was my first step was thinking about, um, emotionally what it meant to me. And then on a practical level, how do you describe some of the adventures? And on a, a moral level, how do you describe some of the conflicts that they were having? And uh, on a script level, how do you you know just describe an overall plot or an action point or something like that? So it was it was a process you know people look at this and think oh there aren't a lot of words in it it must have taken a weekend to write and quite the contrary it was it was kind of a, a long multi-month process to really find the right words and put them in the right order and then once we were able to come up with sort of a working list you always have a little bit more than you you need um then I was very fortunate to work because this is an official Star Trek licensed book. I was fortunate to work with the good folks at Viacom CBS to find images from all of the shows that made sense with it. So each of the ideas that I was putting forth in the book had pretty extensive art notes about which characters I thought would make sense to visually represent what was going on, what scenes, what episodes, um, and then we we took all of that and then further narrowed it down and then had to put it all in order. So it required just as much work, if not a little bit more than some other books, just because it was so concentrated. 
and each word had a matter. So getting those screen caps, you weren't just watching the Blu-rays, pausing it and taking a photo. You actually had access to like the original media? Uh, a little bit of both, actually. You know, the uh, the archives are, are great and the, and the people who work there are fantastic. But sometimes I'd be like, oh, I would love this shot. And I would sort of take a picture of my television <laughs> or my computer <laughs> screen and say, can I please get this? And if they if they were able to get access to it, um, they were able to accommodate it. Sometimes they weren't able to. And, and we had to either reconceive the spread or um, if I didn't think the words and the images were working as well together as I think that they should, sometimes I just dropped the word and, and picked up a new word. What kind of issues would it be like where they couldn't get access to it? Like a rights issue or something more? Um, I don't think it's so much of a rights issue. You know, th- those they're they're doing a lot, and although a lot of um, a, a lot of the stuff is is digitized and readily available, they don't have access necessarily to the exact scene or the exact moment in the, in the scene that that I was looking for. I would guess that DS9 and Voyager may have been more subjected to those challenges because they're the only Star Trek's not on Blu-ray. Maybe. I mean, I think um, the way on-set photography and sort of and and sort of like the business aspect of it worked, the stuff from the original series is probably a little bit more limited because they just don't have as high res images as as would necessarily be available all the time just because it you know the show is so old sure that makes sense yeah you were also talking about the juxtaposition of the photos and what order they would go in and it reminds me of like sort of the invisible art of museum curation it's not just Mm -hmm. you take a picture you hang out a wall there are people consciously thinking about which paintings go next to which ones what is the overall tone of the room and what is the flow as you walk through the museum so with your book there were some very clear juxtapositions when on opposing pages that they were complementary to each other what would Mm -hmm. you say is the overall flow of the book from the first to the 101st theme you know i i went a little bit old school style when i was figuring out the order of everything i i physically printed out every page and then took over my floor and then kept jigsaw puzzling them all together um, to make sure that they all made sense. You know, we, we wanted to start with something, sorry to be a little punny, but something bold. So we started off with um, Starfleet is bold, and then with a quote from Kirk. And then I wanted to end on something that was a little bit more heartfelt, but that called back to the beginning and um people's emotional connection to the show but also the entire experience and i think to sabriel's earlier point something that sort of nodded to the fact that in 20 years people are still going to be talking about new ways to look at it so we we ended spoiler alert um we ended with starfleet is timeless um with a picture of Edith Keeler and, and Kirk. And, and in between, I wanted to make sure that we were looking at all of the shows, um, that we didn't, you know, bunch up too much TNG or too much Voyager in, in particular sections, but sort of went on, you know, just sort of how you naturally maybe sometimes watch a show where there, there are ups and downs. I put in a little humor for it, um, just to shake it up a little bit. <laughs> like solid. Um, <laughs> Like solid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my favorite was unshakable. I don't know if you saw that 
spread. Yes, with with them with them bouncing across the, oh, the bridge. Yes. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, you know, we put in some glamour shots of, of some of the ships. We put in some intimate shots. We put in some um, framed shots. And by intimate shots, I don't mean intimate shots. I mean <laughs> character-based, <laughs> smaller moments of, um, of family or friendship. Um, and then we, you know, we put in some ethereal and, and, and ephemeral kinds of things, too. I was like kind of looking through the book again right now, and right, right next to ephemeral and ethereal is a screen grab from Star Trek Picard. And I was very, mm-hmm. I was like very surprised to see material from Picard in here. It was just so new. It is new, yeah. Knowing that st- how much Star Trek itself has changed, especially once Gene Roddenberry died, and like how he didn't want to have human conflict, mm-hmm. and Starfleet's path, Star Trek and Starfleet's path there to bring into like even you have like Starfleet is damaged, yeah. Um, and Ken kind of brought a little bit of this point um, off air here, but just like, but so when we think of this here, just like wow, like like Starfleet itself has grown, and Star Trek itself has grown, and just like mm-hmm. also just to think of this moment here, we have like Raffi pointing her gun at Picard, and mm-hmm. at the Vasquez rocks here. Her somehow apparently you're allowed to live at Vasquez rocks in the future, um, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was just like it was just this the damaged moment really kind of caught me and appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for noticing that. You know, I thought we thought um, it was important to acknowledge that Starfleet is not perfect. Um, so we do have words in there like Starfleet is is damaged and Starfleet is evolving um, because that's part of the human experience. Um, nothing is perfect we can only try to do better it's progress not necessarily perfection that's really important because the united states has been in so much turmoil you could argue throughout its history since 9-11 in the last five years do you still see starfleet as like aspirational do you still think this is something achievable i i do um call me a cockeyed optimist but i I can't believe that we're doomed. <laughs> I, I just, I, I won't believe it. Um, I think that there are more good people out there than bad people. Um, I think right always wins. It may take a little bit longer than any one of us would, would want. Um, but I think deep down, we all acknowledge and, and know that we're all in this together. And the only way we're going to get out of anything is if we all stick together. And, you know, I, I hope that Roddenberry was right. Like, you know, the Star Trek utopia didn't happen until after an, another huge world war. Um, I, I hope we don't get to that point, And I don't think that we will. Um, but I think that sort of future is possible if we want it. I can totally understand Starfleet is damaged. I guess it would have been a shorter book if you'd written Starfleet is doomed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that would take pictures of more pictures from season three of Discovery. <laughs> mm, true, true. So yeah. I, I have some questions about some other specific words, like opportunity, for example. You show Captain Christopher Pike walking through the Klingon temple. I normally associate opportunity with the Ferengi, but they're not in Starfleet. But you did feature Ferengi for family so mm-hmm. like did you have a little bit of creative license about what is starfleet in that respect um well we definitely wanted to feature spreads where everybody uh, where, where the characters were in starfleet to sort of tie that in 
Um, I think we took a little bit of liberty with the Ferengis because they were part of the family spread, and there are other Starfleet families on that spread as well. Um, and I can't remember if that was Nog in the in the yeah Rom and Nog yeah and Nog was in Starfleet. Oh snap! You beat <laughs> me. There you go. I did. Ah. <laughs> uh... I, I forgot about that. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think that particular image is of Nog in his Starfleet uniform, but he was a Starfleet guy and believed in it. Um, so yeah, he he it made sense for him to be in it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially you know in memory of the actor with that recent loss. Absolutely. It just it it was important to honor Aaron in that way. Yeah. What about Dr. Phlox? You wrote that he's nurturing, and I'm glad you chose a male character to associate with that word. But mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're talking about the diversity that Starfleet encompasses, I would think a great adjective to describe Dr. Phlox would be polyamorous. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Just a thought I had. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's a good thought. Uh, I, mean, I mean, the poly aspect didn't come. It, it was a part of like one episode of a trip. Uh, I, I, it's something I wish I could have explored more, like even uh-huh. with him and Andorians, because Andorians uh-huh. also have five genders, but we really didn't yes. get to see that except for like off air, but beta canon. Yeah. I mean, I think to your point, Phlox's polyamory was part of Phlox's character and not a tenant of Starfleet. Okay. That's fair. I can see that. <laughs> what about, I think there were two shots of Porthos. He was faithful and dogged. And I, I, you know, I'm a dog person first and foremost, so I was very delighted to see him represented. But I'm also an animal person, and you didn't have Spot or Livingston in here anywhere. Uh, I'm a dog guy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm claiming a little bit of executive privilege on that. <laughs> I mean, Although I, I, I'm also wondering what words would have gone with them, like Livingston. Starfleet is fishy. Exactly. No, it doesn't, right. doesn't work. Arctangerous. Yeah. I mean, you can have a koi right. or spot. Uh. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, Sabre, were there any other words or layouts that leapt out at you? I mean, specific ones. I, d- I did get a kick out of doing the uh, face palm in Unbelievable. Yes. The uh-huh. image. Uh, that was when I just got a kick out of it. I scrolled through that like, ah, and just laughed out loud <laughs> as I just mind myself laughing out loud. Um, <laughs> but, um, was there anything like, while working on this that you learned? Anything that I learned, um, you know, this is going to sound a little trite, but once I really started thinking about it and compiling all of these ideas, I I learned that Starfleet was more than I thought it was. And I think one of the driving factors for this book, in addition to describing what Starfleet is, I also wanted to describe in a way but also really celebrate what star trek fandom was and how those two things are overlapping um you know i go to a lot of pop culture conventions and i I see star trek fans in particular really living their best star trek life and whether they're being supportive or welcoming to new people um, who are are new to the show, whether they're um, you know having in-depth sort of really good discussions about characters and and scenes, but also real life events. 
how it's incredibly diverse, how it's very accepting, um, how it's not particularly toxic, but more conversational and trying to understand everything. I, I, I was finding even more overlaps between Starfleet and, and Phantom. And that made me feel really, really good. And it sort of helped me focus and shine a light on what makes Star Trek as a property so great that it could bring all of these incredibly diverse people from all walks of life, from all countries, from everywhere together to celebrate this thing that they, they all love really, really much. So um, I think I learned a little bit also about where I sort of fit into that and things that I want to be more a part of and things that I can work on. So I think, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a little bit of a survey of the Star Trek human condition too. Now, speaking of some of the wonderful people that are in Star Trek fandom, what was it like working with Kenneth Mitchell, who provided the foreword for your book? Ken, have you ever met Ken? I haven't had the pleasure. You haven't? Um, he's the sweetest, sweetest guy. Um, I had met Ken, we were on the Star Trek cruise together. We were both crew, crewmen on the, on the cruise. And from the minute we, we met before we took off, not took off, sailed off. <laughs> Departed. departed departed we'll go with departed. <laughs> he was just the the sweetest most welcoming incredibly down-to-earth guy and then i met him again on, on the second cruise and he his uh, als diagnosis had had been announced and he was having some mobility issues back then but you know unlike a lot of people you know he he probably met 3000 people on on the cruise the last time maybe even 4000 he remembered wow. me which was great um and he was just as down to earth and and conversational relatable and we had some conversations um sort of off stage about kind of a lot of the things that we were talking about about star trek fandom and how much he appreciated the fans for loving the show for supporting him and his character. Um, and it just seemed like he would understand what I was trying to accomplish with this book um, about the intersection between fandom and Starfleet. And I, I reached out to him to write the forward, um, explaining what I thought the, the book would be about. And uh, he had provided, he provided a forward that was, even more perfect than I thought it would. Speaking of, of perfection, um, you know, it really touches on these micro and macro moments and the intersection of being on the show and and relating to the fans. And it, 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 it added so much to the book um, that I don't think I would have been able to provide in my introduction. I think because his perspective is so different. And I'm really, really happy that a portion of the proceeds for the sale of the book go directly toward ALS research as well, um, which I think, you know, is is what Starfleet is. It's supporting each other and, and hoping for a better future. I'd love to see that this book is supporting the ALS Association. As many of our listeners know, Stephen Hawking was affected by ALS, Lou Gehrig. Uh, several years ago, I had the honor of writing the obituary for Hal Finney, who was the very first person to ever use Bitcoin. 
because mm. uh, he was diagnosed with ALS. And medically speaking, ALS is a distant cousin to multiple sclerosis, which my mother has. Uh, mm. Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis is ALS. So to any opportunity to support those organizations and the research they do, I'd love to see that. I'm really glad that you're taking this opportunity. So thank you for doing that. Oh, it's my pleasure. It, it was important to me uh, that the book did good in the world. Um, and I, I couldn't have thought of, of a better way to do it. Is there anything that Starfleet is to you personally? Or maybe there's something that didn't suit or translate to the book? Hmm. You know, I think I, I pretty much got everything I wanted in there. Um, you know, as a writer, you're always looking, looking backward a little bit, yeah. you know, like, oh, I should have done that. I should have done that. Um, but I, I'm pretty happy with the way it came out. I, I wanted to strike the correct balance between sincerity and celebration and humor um, and, and thoughtfulness. And I, I think we did a pretty solid job of it. If I do say so myself, I, I worked with my, my editor V Tran and, um, you know, we really, we, we labored over it a, a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if any, uh, if any author doesn't say that all the time, but, <laughs> Um, you know, I think some of the things that I had at the very beginning were, I don't want to say snarky, but probably a little sarcastic, which isn't what Starfleet is, <laughs> particularly. <laughs> um, I think that was just sort of me uh, coming through as a, as, a, as, a, as a writer. So I think, yeah, I, I think we did a pretty good job. I'm sure we'll get feedback. Uh, for things that we left out or things that we shouldn't have put in there. But um, I think this is the best representation and, and the best effort that we could do. And I think that's also kind of what Starfleet is. It's not perfect, um, but it's, it's, as, it's a pretty good effort, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, Star Trek fandom is always going to tell you what you did wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but you get a lot more but, people who. But are, they're always going to uh, say what you got right too. Exactly. So. That's what I was like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. This is a kind of a book where like, I think it can even hit differently on different days. Like looking through here, like it's just like like we have a pre-release copy. It's the one I'm just scrolling through instead of flipping through. And mm-hmm. I was just looking through here, like I mean, of course, like I appreciate the damaged one. I mean, that one really kind of hit me there. But then, like going backwards here, for whatever reason, like this one yearning. Mm-hmm. Got a really yeah. with Khan and um, I'm mistaken her name right now, but the one a woman who became his wife, uh, MacGyver's. Yes, um, yep. MacGyver's. She was here, but this yearning picture kind of just really hit me, and I don't know if that's like a mood I'm in or whatever, but it kind of also made me think of like all these scenes at a different level. It's like all but there's over 800 episodes of Star Trek at this point. Like how many hours upon hours and all this stuff that's in your head. And sometimes it's easy to forget just to sit here in the moment and appreciate like what you're watching yeah, or oh, feeling at that moment. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I, I really wanted this book to be the kind of book that you could pick up lots of different times and get different things from it. So 
if you were in not the best mood after after a tough day or if you were going through something, you'd be able to find something in there that directly spoke to you and your connection to Star Trek in a different way. And I think it's also the kind of book that you can give to other people, um, whether they're super fans like we are, um, who are going to, and I think this sort of goes to, to Star Trek too. Um, you know, super fans are going to find Easter eggs in it and, and scenes, casual fans or even new fans, I think are going to be intrigued enough about what Starfleet is to want to watch the show more and want to delve into it. So I was really sort of, uh, you know, hoping that the book would be this multi-dimensional tool for people um, for further connection with the show, but also further connection to each other. Yeah. I have a, a business question since I come from the publishing world. Uh, you uh, mentioned that you worked with... <laughs> if, this is, if, if this is about math, I cannot do it. <laughs> no, no, no spreadsheets okay. involved. Don't worry. Oh, thank you. Okay. Uh, no, I was wondering what your CRM is. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so <laughs> you, you mentioned you mentioned that you worked with your editor on this mm-hmm. book, and you yourself are the editor of Smart Pop, and Smart Pop is the publisher of this book. So yeah. w- how does it work when you are the editor of your own book's publisher? I, I Although I'm the editor-in-chief of it, I wasn't the editor on this book. The Tran was the editor. So basically, I was treated as any other author would. Um, and as any other author in Smart Pop can tell you, we treat our authors really, really well. Um, but, you know, I, I've been published by other publishers before. I've, I've been in publishing my entire adult career. I know how important editors and the editorial process are to any book. No author, well, few authors just write the book and then the book is published exactly as it's written. Um, I value other people's eyeballs on what I'm doing because, you know, one of the things about writing, and I've written a lot of books, is you can be sitting at your computer and you write something and you think it is the most hilarious thing you've ever seen in your entire life. And then you show it to somebody else and they have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, And whether it's just not not a good line or the sentence is awkwardly worded or you've somehow told yourself an in-joke, um, you, you know, it's, it, it's a process. So it's important for other people to look at what you're doing and provide constructive feedback. Um, v herself is a Star Trek fan, so she understood what I was trying to do and how I was trying to do it. Um, and she's actually going to be the editor for my next Star Trek book, the Star Trek Book of Friendship, that's coming out next spring. Um, so we really worked together with a, a give and take about what was working, what wasn't working. Um, and I made it very clear at the very beginning, you know, she is my editor and, and I'm not to be given special treatment. But a little bit of special treatment. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> a little bit. You, you certainly do have a storied history in publishing. And I want you to know that after all these decades I have spent watching Star Trek, I finally made my first edit to Memory Alpha, which was to update your page, which still had your old job listed. Oh, really? Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Next, Wikipedia. That's right. Uh, You'll be (laughs) notable before you know it. Yeah, that would be great. 
You mentioned your next book. Tell us a little bit about Friendship. Uh, The Star Trek Book of Friendship is coming out next spring. I've written it with uh, my good pal and also a Star Trek expert, Jordan Hoffman. Um, And it's it's a conversation between the two of us just about all of the really notable friendships throughout Star Trek. So we talk about Kirk and Spock and uh, Janeway and Tuvok. Um, and yes, Archer and Porthos. Yes. I'm including that there too. Um, and, and just, you know, how those, those friendship dynamics work and how um, Star Trek friends bond over those relationships as well. Um, we, we are very, very fortunate to have Robert Picardo and Ethan Phillips write a forward for the book. Um, oh, so cool. which I'm really, really excited about because um, they're Star Trek fans and also friends in real life. Um, we've got a, a special contribution in it from Dr. Aaron McDonald, uh, who's the Star Trek science consultant on the new shows and all new original art by J.K. Woodward, uh, who's, who's illustrated a, a ton of Star Trek comic books, um, including the City on the Edge of Tomorrow that IDW did. So this book truly is by fans for fans. Um, and in, in this instance, it's also sort of about fans too. So it's great. I, I think people are going to be really, really happy with it. And I think they serve as really nice companions to each other. Um, so yeah, thank you. For awesome. That. Yeah, of course. We look forward to that book in the spring. In the meantime, listeners to this show can look forward to Star Trek Starfleet Is, written by Rob Perlman, published by Smart Pop Books, coming out September 7th. That's next week, just one day before Star Trek Day, the anniversary of Star Trek's first airing. I'm sure you would have loved to have them coincide, but... This year, the anniversary is on a Wednesday, and new books always come out on Tuesdays. So close. You you have no idea how much it bugs me. (laughs) (laughs) If if only you'd written it a a year sooner. I know. Oh, man. (laughs) Or waited five years, but who wants to do that? I couldn't. I couldn't. Right? So the MSRP is $16 for the hardcover. There's also a Kindle edition. And I'm sorry, I should have looked. Are there other ebook editions or just Kindle? I, I think as long as you go to your preferred ebook provider, it will it will be there. Fantastic! I have a Kobo, so yeah. good to know. Yeah, uh, Rob, any parting shots for our listeners? Just thank you so much for having me. I hope everyone likes the book, um, and happy Star Trek Day! Live long and prosper. Thank <laughs> you. And if our listeners do want to follow you personally online, where can they do that? My website is robperlman.com. I'm on Instagram at Rob Perlman, Facebook at Rob Perlman, and Twitter at Ms. Mazeppa. Where does that, that – one of those is not like the others. Where does that last <laughs> one come from? Um, Gypsy, the, the musical. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's the trumpet player at the end. I, I've, always, uh, I've always liked her. She blows a trumpet. Yeah. I love Broadway musicals. I've been in a variety of community theater productions, but Gypsy has not been on my radar yet. So. Oh, the Holy Grail. I know, I know. There are a lot of gaps in my knowledge. I need to fix that. But Well, rent the movie with Roslyn Russell. Okay, we'll do. Uh, <laughs> in the meantime, we'll include links in the show notes to everything you just mentioned at transporterlock.com. Rob, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, guys.
If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. Yay, that's a podcast. Uh, I hit it. Uh, I didn't get to say my sign out. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Until next time. (laughs) Well, um, goodbye. I'm not going to do it now. The moment is gone. (laughs) Sorry.